I just want to say as we're getting started, it is beautiful to me when women embrace the Word of God and really live by it, really love it, really want to see it come alive in their lives. You know, it's so ugly when women live opposite that, but it's so beautiful when women take God's Word and really do embrace it. I don't know how old you were when you came to the place that you realized that words are really powerful things. <laughs> but words truly are powerful. You know, when we were growing up, you probably said things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I can remember standing in our yard and telling the little kids next door, you're not allowed to come in our yard, and they would say things, and we would do this bantering back and forth with all of that, you know. But that is not true. (laughs) Words can hurt, and words can bring life as well. Somewhere along the line, we realize that is not true, that words are very powerful things. When somebody says, I love you, They look you in the eyes and they say, I love you. I mean, that means something, doesn't it? And when they say, I don't like you, boy, that can cut. That can really hit you in a deep place. Or when somebody says, I believe in you. I believe in you. I'll never forget being... When we started doing this Dark Places ministry and sitting across from the girl that I was visiting in the jail, I had only been with her a couple times, and she, as I was getting ready to leave, tears started flowing down her face, and she says, you have no idea what it means to me to have somebody believe in me again. Because she had broken every relationship by her choices and didn't have anybody. And to have somebody believe in her, man, those are powerful, powerful words. Or when somebody says, I don't want you around anymore, I mean, that... That couldn't really hit you in a deep place. Or when somebody says, you are the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, that's, that's just enlivens your whole, your whole life. I mean, words are really powerful things in good and bad ways. And perhaps that is why God chose to communicate to us through his words. You know, you, I, I'd never thought about this till the other day, but, you know, God could have used other things to communicate his truth. He didn't have to communicate to us at all, really, but he could have used pictures, I mean, he could have created like a cartoon strip, you know, to tell the story, you know, or hieroglyphics, you know, how they used to do it. I mean, and then we had to try to figure that out. Or he could have maybe had some kind of artwork pieces, you know, that got preserved through the years or maybe some kind of dramatic plays or something like that, you know, where you didn't even speak, you know, but just this pantomime. And, and we were not sure all that out. So chose words. And in our generation today, words are huge, you know, even little words. I remember a couple years ago when I joined Facebook, and I'm kind of a wordy person. I'm the girl that when you were told to write an essay with 500 words, I'd do my whole thing, and back then you had to count them. You know, now you have a counter on the computer, but you'd have to count, and you think, oh, I got 750. How am I going to get rid of 250 words? Because I've been wordy all my life, and you probably realize that as you're doing your lessons. You're like, come on, just say it, you know? You know, there repeat yourself 10 times, but I do, you know? There's value in repetition, but... People say things today in very short things, you know. And when I got on Facebook, I realized people could say stuff with a lot of punch in a little way. And I'd think, I don't know how to fit in here. You know, I kind of felt paralyzed for a little while. It's because, like, I'd want to write, like, ten lines and you only have room for, you know, one or two. Because whenever you see somebody on Facebook that writes, like, ten lines, you go, I'm not reading that, you know, because it's too long. You want, you want something little. 
And I haven't even joined the whole world of Twitter and all that where it's even shorter. And I have a really hard time on Facebook. I can't, I mean, not Facebook, texting. I can't tell you how many times I'm texting and it, I get to the thing where it says field full, you know, and I'm like, oh, what can I take out, you know? Because I, I still put commas in there and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm just, I tend to be wordy. But you know what? You can say a lot with just a little bit. And in our passage this week that we're going to be looking at, verses 5 and 6, a lot is said with some little words. In fact, if I had to give the teaching a title this week, I would call it Little Words, Big Implications. Little Words, Big Implications. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you think about what Romans 6, 5 and 6, our verses for this coming week say, let me say them for you. It says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, there are some words, lots of words, that have some great meaning. We're going to be looking at a lot of them tonight. But there are three words that are kind of going to be our tour guides through these passages tonight. And they're little words, really, especially two of them. Verse 5 has the word if. And we're going to look at that a lot tonight. Verse 5 also has the word certainly. And that's going to be a key word for us tonight. And verse 6 has the word that. And it's used several times and it's going to be uh, very distinctive for us tonight. Every week what we want to do is just kind of walk our way through, you know, the verses that we're focused on for that week. And these three words are going to kind of be our guide to take us through. So let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us that this word would be alive. God, I thank you, Lord, that you tonight have already heard the prayer of many of these sisters that your word would be alive to us, God. I know why I'm asking your word to be alive to others, Lord. I know why I'm asking it to be alive to me. I know that there are um, women in this room who are asking for very specific reasons, Lord, where they need to hear you speak. They need to hear what you have to say. They're asking you questions. Maybe they've gotten to places in this passage and they're they're just going, how does that fit together with what I already know? Or or all of these different questions that we each have, Lord, in, in our own hearts. And I pray, Lord, that your word would be alive tonight, that it would be alive this week, Lord, that as we take our time and do our study and memorize and hide your word in our heart, Lord, that it would just be fresh and new and we would hear you speaking, hear you whispering into our souls, God. Thank you so much, Lord, that you use words and that they're powerful. And I pray that they would be so tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's look at the word if. Now, if is a word, little word. It has a big implication all on its own, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us have said things like, oh, if only I hadn't said that, or oh, if I could do that over again, or if I had a million dollars, you know, or any of those kinds of things. If is a word that has a condition attached to it. It is a word that has a stipulation with it. Now, verse 5 says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. And it goes on, and we'll get there, but it tells us what's going to happen if we do. But let's look back for just a minute at verses 3 and 4. They led us to the truth, as we studied last week, that as believers, we're supposed to immerse ourselves, right? Immerse ourselves in the death of Christ. And we worked through that several ways last week. We considered it's important for us to join Christ, right? Not to just be thankful or to marvel at the fact that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and became a man and died for us. I mean, that's something to marvel at. It's something to worship. It's something to be thankful for. But the word of God calls us actively 
to immerse ourselves in it, to join him. And we looked at that. We looked at how Christ immersed himself. You know, we, we, we picked that apart and looked at all the different places last week that he did and, and what that meant, what he was actually dying to. We examined the purpose. You know, why does God call us to do that? You know, why does God want to put me through all of that? Well, we looked at that. And then we also talked about, you know, one of the keys of how to actually do that. And that was something that I wrote down in my truth suitcase this week. That idea of into your hands I commit my spirit. <laughs> that was huge to me. I was on my prayer walk one morning and I was just, you know, a situation where I knew the Lord was wanting me to lay my will down before him and die to myself and, and to just give up and, and do something he was asking me to do. But in my mind, I was like, Lord, you know, I don't trust this person that you're asking me to 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 entrust myself to and what you're asking me to do. I don't trust this person. And immediately, just right in my spirit, and as I think I had been memorizing on Romans 6, I know this is why he gave it to me, but he said, Jesus said, into my hands I commit. I mean, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it was this idea that I've asked you to join in the likeness of Christ's death. I've not asked you to, to do your own kind of death. And if you're going to die like he died, then you're going to commit yourself to me. And can you not trust me? Can you not trust me? Well, I, I learned that day, and that's something that I've grabbed a hold of, that when God calls me to die to myself, he's asking me to entrust myself to him. I don't have to entrust myself to people, because a lot of times we don't trust the people around us. You know, we've got questions, or we think, I don't think they can handle this, or, you know, different situations. That's not good for me, God, or that scares me. But we're entrusting ourselves to him, not to people, places, things. We're entrusting ourselves to him. That was a truth that I grabbed a hold of. This week, But we spent a lot of time last week, didn't we, looking at Christ's death and how we are to immerse ourselves and join him in his death. But we also noted last week, and we talked about this too, it's a big choice. It is a choice for us to do that. And that's why verse 5 says, for if. That's why it says, for if. Obviously, from Paul's words here that we've already been looking at in these verses preceding, a lot of people are going through the motions of this whole Christianity thing. A lot of people still are today. And a lot of people have even been baptized physically, but they've not joined Christ in his death. So Paul begins this verse and he says, For if, because it is an if, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. And he goes on and he says, What's going to happen for that person that fully makes this choice, for the person that truly understands, this is a good choice for me and I'm going to make it. This word, if, big implications, and as we move through the whole thing tonight, because it starts out with that, we're going to see those implications are really going to be revealed to us. But I want to look at some other things in verse 5 for a minute and point out some other words that are pretty important too and have some big implications as well. We've mentioned a couple times already that this is going to be kind of an intense study. It's not a, you know, a little devotional you read each day and you go, oh, God loves me. God, God makes me feel so good today. I just feel wrapped in the arms of Jesus. All those things are true. But this is the kind of study that's going to make you look a little bit more intently at some things. But I want to point out to you that sometimes when you're doing a study like that, and there are plenty of them out there, not just that, this one by any means, but when you're doing that sometimes, you look so intently at Jesus, and then you look so intently at yourself, and then you go, oh my goodness, <laughs> I thought you know, I had made some progress here, and, and there's some real issues here going on, and you feel like you know, I'm just really discouraged. But see, the thing is, I know that we have women who are doing this study here with us and online and who are memorizing with us and women who will be doing this in the you know, years to come. 
and they want to press on with Christ. So the last thing we need is for Satan to take that truth that God calls us to this death and twist it around to where we just feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I don't measure up at all. And we come under this condemnation. That's not God's intent. I mean, just go on over two chapters in the very first verse of Romans 8 says there's no, now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I was doing a little bit of research on this whole verse 5, and especially this first phrase of it this week, and I found that there are some pretty encouraging things here. It says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Now, you can look at that and you can think, Oh my goodness, I've got to have arrived at perfection. And you look at yourself and you think, I'll never be able to get that together to become united with him in the, in the likeness of his death. But let's look at this word become. The word become is the word G-I-N-O-M-A-I. G-I-N-O-M-A-I. That was the original Greek language. And this is what it means. To come to pass. To come into existence. To begin to be. Now, the word does have an arrival point when you study it. It does have a place where you finally arrive. But it's not something that happens just like overnight. Like all of a sudden, you know, you've you've become uh, united with him. It's speaking of us doing this in a process. It's a joining with that takes place over time. But look at the word united as well. That word is S-Y-M-P-H-Y-T-O-S. Kind of like the word symphony. You know, when all these things unite together to make a, a wonderful sound. And it's a word that indicates actually a birth and a joining together. So just like a baby's born, there's a development stage, right? And then you get to this place where there's an arrival of this baby. So it is with us becoming united with Christ in his death. It develops in us. We embrace it a little bit more and more and more over time to where we grow to the point where we actually have become united. Little words. But big implications because that can really encourage us to realize, okay, it's all right that maybe I'm not everywhere I need to be, but I'm, I'm on the way. And the main thing is that you're moving forward, that you're not standing still and that you're not going backwards, but that you're on the way to becoming united with Christ. Don't get caught up on I'm not exactly where I need to be. Are you moving forward? in this whole being united with him in the likeness of his death. And there's another word that has some pretty big implications, and that's the word likeness. See, the more I study Christ, and I look at maybe passages like Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus, you know, just completely humbles himself, and I'm called to be like that. Or I read through the Gospels, and I see the way he served, and the way he loved, and I think, oh, you know, because Satan can take that and just make you feel like I'll never, ever measure up. But look at the word likeness. What does the word likeness mean? It means a representation. It's not exactly, but it's almost. There's a resemblance there. And on this earth, ladies, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be exactly like Jesus. But the idea is that there's going to be a resemblance between him and I. A resemblance between us and Christ. You know how somebody might say, boy, you really look like so-and-so. You know, or maybe you'll look in the mirror and you go, wow, I really do look like my mother, you know, or something like that. We ought to be able to look in the mirror and go, wow, there really are some things about me that look like Jesus. There's a likeness that we can see in ourselves and maybe that others can see in us as well. Becoming 
being on the way to being united with him in the likeness of his death. And if we do that, what is the result? Well, that takes us to the next word that has some really big implications too. And that's the word certainly. And that's also in verse 5. The word certainly connects one thing to another. In other words, if you do this, certainly this is going to happen. You can expect this. Last week we mentioned several times that a lot of people really like to live, just in general, in the what they would call the blessings of God. I mean, think about how many people say, God bless America, but they don't really even know God. They don't have any you know, indication of wanting to walk with God, but it's just that, that sense of prosperity, of God blessing America, or you know, us enjoying God's uh, blessings. But interestingly enough, it's, it's not any news really that people long for that, because that's the very thing that God created us for. That's one of the things that he put within our DNA. He created us to actually live in the presence of his glory. Now, what does that mean? Because we say that a lot as believers, you know, the glory of God in his glory, all that kind of stuff. Well, glory is a true representation of something. When you see something in all its glory, it's when you see the true representation of it. And when we live in the glory of God, we see the true representation of him all around us. For instance, we might see his love. We might see, you know, glimpses of his beauty, glimpses of his truth, of his power, of his provision, of his hope, of his truth, all of those things. Well, God desires that for us. He wants us to live with all of that shining around us. And then he wants us to reflect it back out to others. I mean, you don't get more blessed than living in that kind of glory of God. But a lot of people look for those kinds of things in their life. They want hope. You know, they they want provision, they want blessings, they want joy, all that stuff. But a lot of people, and maybe some of us as well, really struggle to see that kind of stuff in their life. And then they wonder why I don't see this. Why do they get it and I don't get it? Well, to me, the answer is right here in verse 5. It says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, here comes this word, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. This word certainly is a word that's saying, if you choose, if you make that good choice to unite yourself with him in his death, in the likeness of his death, well, you can be certain you're going to experience the likeness of his resurrection. And the the flip side of that as well is, is true as well. If you don't, well, certainly you're not going to experience the likeness of his resurrection. Now, what does the likeness of his resurrection mean? We talked about newness of life last week. I loved looking up all those scriptures and looking at the different metaphors and and finding the different ones, you know, that maybe really connected to me. But the phrase likeness of his resurrection, this word, that's a phrase actually that has a word that goes with it from the Greek. And it is the word A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. And it means to be restored to life. So when it says likeness of his resurrection, it means being restored to life, just like Jesus was, just like Jesus was restored to life. And we're going to talk about that. I love that phrase because to me, it really pulls the whole gospel together. See, God never intended for me or for you, any of us, to lose our life, his life within us to sin to lose the fullness of his glory, him being able to just pour out his blessings on us in every way. He didn't intend for us to lose that to sin. He knew we would, but he didn't intend that for us. 
When we're born again, when we choose to be immersed in the likeness of his death, you know what that does? It puts us in the position to be restored to that original position with God that we were supposed to have in the first place. Restored to life. That's the, in the likeness of his resurrection. You think about this. God restored Jesus to life. When Jesus came out of the grave, he restored him to what he originally intended for him. God intended for Jesus to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet he allowed him to come to earth and to become the servant of all, to pour out his life to death. But what happened when Jesus was resurrected? He was restored to the highest place of ever, ever. Every knee is going to bow to him. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. He was made to be who he was originally intended to be, the King of Kings. He was put in that position. And when we join Christ in his death, we position ourselves to be resurrected back to the life that we were supposed to have in the first place, which is a life of God living in us fully and us experiencing the glory of God. So when this says, if we become united with him in his death, certainly, or in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's meaning I'm going to get that whole restored life thing going back again for me. That's the likeness, just like Jesus did. God's going to restore me to the original purposes and placement in his kingdom that he created me for in the first place. Now, think about this too. It says, be, okay? There's this word here, certainly we shall be also. What is the idea of be? Well, be is is existing. (laughs) So we'll exist with this resurrection life flowing around us. I see this as such a conditional promise from God. And God does have some promises that have conditions attached to them. And this is one of them. He's saying, you join me in my death, and certainly, no question about it, I am going to resurrect you to the place that I created you for. So every time that I choose to die to self, I can know that certainly, certainly, it is going to bring life for me, as certain as Jesus was. Every time, and we looked at this some, that every time that Jesus talked about being put to death, he talked about being raised to life. So every time I know that I choose to die to self and do things God's way, even though everything in me doesn't want to do it that way, and we'll be talking about that more in the next you know, few weeks, but every time I do, certainly I can know by faith and I can believe this, that God is going to restore me to that place. It's going to bring life for me a place of his presence and provision and power and eternal life that lasts forever. You remember back in verse 4, it said, so we too might walk in newness of life. There was that question, you know, it implied that there was an opportunity for life, but it wasn't a surety. Why? Because there was a choice. That's why verse 5 begins with the word if. And it's not an easy choice. Jesus' sweat drops of blood making that choice. So when you have a hard time making the choice, don't be surprised. (laughs) It's not an easy choice. It's not an easy choice at all. How many of you can relate to that? You know what God's wanting you to do. (laughs) It can be a very little thing. It can be a huge life-altering thing. I mean, it can be anything from going and speaking to somebody in the store that you see and you know God wants you to speak to them to, I mean, making a decision maybe to adopt children. I mean, it can be from one thing to the other. And yet he brings life. I had a situation happen the week before we had Women's Vacation Bible School. I was in the store. I had gone in there just to kind of, you know, just zone out somewhere, you know. 
and I saw this woman that I knew who she was because her kids had gone to school at the school where my kids go. But I had never really met her. In fact, one time I had introduced myself to her, but she didn't remember me. And, you know, I, I, the Lord, I knew he was saying, go and speak to her. I didn't want to do it <laughs> because I was tired. And I didn't want to get into a conversation with anyone. I just kind of wanted to hide. So I kept kind of going over this way as they would go. You know, I kept thinking, oh, she's going to walk into this other room with her daughter, you know. And I thought, and everything in my mind, oh, Lord, she doesn't want to talk to me. She doesn't know me, you know. And then I thought, oh, I had some invitations to VBS. And, and I thought, well, she doesn't want to come. You know, I mean, I was just making up all these reasons why. And it just wouldn't go away. And finally I was like, all right, I'll go talk to her. And so I went over there and I talked to her. And we just immediately connected. And she just started asking me all these questions. And we just had this wonderful conversation. And we've become friends. And the other day she, she had asked me if I would come and meet with her and talk with her about some ministry things. And she had all these things going on. And she wanted to talk to me about what we're doing in Established Footsteps. And, and the other day we stood on the corner at when we came out of the Starbucks on Monday and she said I I told her this you know and she said I am so glad you spoke to me you know and and she's somebody that's doing what I'm doing and I don't know many people that do what I do and so it was such an encouragement to talk to her because she's made some of the same steps that I've made and has some of the same fears and you know what there's life there there's sisterhood there but I would have never known that had I not obeyed but I can know that certainly when I choose to do things God's way and I die to my own way and I do, and that's just a little thing. But do you see how he'll bring life in every one of those situations? And it may not show up right away, but we'll know that certainly, and that word certainly is a word that we can hold on to. When we make the choice, it puts us in the position and it opens up all those promises, all those promises that are available to us in Christ. And you know what? That idea of being in Christ, and we'll be talking about that more in the coming weeks as well. It's a phrase we use a lot. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, one of the things is that I am restored to life. And that opens up all those promises. And you know, in Ephesians 3, it tells us that God will do more than we can ask, imagine, or think. Earlier this summer, when we were having a prayer meeting in this very room, and a woman came who had not been here at any other time, but she, she came, somebody had asked her to come and pray with us. She came, and then she stood up, and she said, I just feel like the Lord wants me to show, share this with you. And she said this, and it, I, I've just been thinking about it ever since. She said, you know, and she shared Ephesians 3, where it talks about, I think it's verse 20, that uh, he, he can do more than we ima- ask, imagine, or think. And she said, that means if you can think it, God's got more in mind. And I thought, wow, because I thought of all the things I've thought about, you know, and I thought, wow, God's got more in mind than that. If I can imagine it, the mind of God is bigger and he's dreaming more, you know, and that's not necessarily material things that, you know, don't even go there. It's the, the, those inner riches of God that only he knows how to bestow that idea of being in Christ. That's a whole deep thing in and of itself. I don't know if you know anybody that just seems to know God in deep ways, you know. They've just got that deep connection with God. They experience him. They hear from him. And you look at their life and you go, oh, I, I, I want to know that. I want to know that kind of, kind of relationship with the Lord. Well, I've known people like that. And I look at them too and I think, God, I want to know you like that. And you know what I find as I get to know that person? Usually there's somebody that's died to self, <laughs> They've died to self because they're living in that place of certainly, certainly this, this newness of life comes to them. They're willing to die to self. 
I have some friends, their names are Chris and Rachel Embler. Some of you may have met them or heard of them. We actually have a link uh, to their blog on our website. But I want to tell you their story just a little bit to illustrate this whole idea of this certainly, you know, what, what we receive, the, the likeness of his resurrection. Chris and Rachel were a young couple about three or four years ago, um, newly married. They were both high school teachers at a small public high school in Smithfield, North Carolina. And God was moving in their lives. They both worked with uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes there in that town, and had taken some kids on some mission trips. And they just really were, you know, seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you have for us? And little by little, God just started to build this dream in them of some mission work that they could do. But it was very different than most people had ever heard of, anything that I'd ever heard of for sure. And in fact, when Chris went to talk to Rachel's dad about them possibly doing this, and Rachel's dad is a pastor, so I mean, he's a, he's a Bible-believing, God-fearing man, and he said, you're not doing that with my daughter. You know, I mean, that's how, that's how far out there it was. But this is what God was calling them to do, to pretty much just get rid of everything they had, lay it all down, and then to walk on a mission from Smithfield, North Carolina, to Peru, South America, and be the hands and feet of Jesus along the way. Now... They did it, and it took them 18 months to get from South, uh, North Carolina to South America, and many times they'd get this far down the road, and then God would give them some assignment back here, and they'd end up going 20 miles back the other way. I mean, so it took them a long, long time to do this, but when they left, they actually got sent out by all the students that they were ministering to in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They had uh, two backpacks, you know, each of them had a backpack. It said, Our Walk of Faith. In fact, that's how I met them because my aunt and uncle came across them in a pizza parlor and saw their backpack and went up and talked to them. And they ended up joining in online our very first memorization project we ever did, which was Romans 12, and it kept them connected to some believers. And so that was a way that God used that project in ways we hadn't even dreamed of. But that's how I originally got to know them. They came the year, the following year later and ended up speaking at our celebration service that we had for the memorization project. And that's where I really got to sit down and talk with them. But let me tell you the stories that they can tell you of how they saw God and the glory of God and that resurrection, the likeness of, you know, just being positioned with the fullness of God dwelling around them amazing things that they can tell you of ways they got to minister of ways they saw God provide when they left they had you know these two backpacks they didn't take one cent with them they each had an extra pair of shoes tied to the back of the backpack and they had a tent they had some pots and pans and a couple little personal items that was it over the time of the you know 18 months that they were gone God put over $37,000 in their hands of just people blessing them and giving them money but they go, gave over more than half of it away because they didn't even need it because God was providing for them that was more than they had ever been able to give away when they were both working full time as teachers and they were trying to you know make ends meet they were giving more when they had nothing you know isn't that the glory of God but so many different stories and it's just amazing to talk to them but you know what as they laid down their life and stepped out with God and believed God, they saw the glory of God. They saw the likeness of his resurrection. Now, I'm not telling you go home and sell all your stuff and walk to, you know, Timbuktu. That's not the point because God necessarily hasn't called you to do that or me to do that. But whatever he does call us to do, if we do it, certainly, that's a key word with huge implication, that we can't even ask, imagine, or think about, really, we will see that likeness of his resurrection. That's a lot of stuff in five verses, you know? A lot of questions, 
some really deep truths that I'm sure we haven't even delved into deep enough, but we really want to look at verse 6 too. It also has a little word in it that begins some statements here that really have some big implications for us, and the word is that. Listen to what verse 6 says. It says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Remember early on I told you when you memorize, you see things you're not going to see otherwise. Because what happens is you start zeroing in on little parts just to get it right. You're like, oh, I can't get that part right. And so you start looking at it. I would have never seen the word that in this passage if I wasn't memorizing it. I would have read right over it. I would have never seen it. Now, one of the reasons I saw it is because when you're memorizing, you want to look for patterns. <laughs> because sometimes it'll help you when you get, you know, all bogged down with the, with the verses. It gives you something to hang on to. Well, there were three that statements. And so I was like, okay, when I get to verse 6, i got to say that, that, that. And that'll help you as you memorize. But there's a lot more implication to the word that here than just, you know, a, a memorization pattern. Before we really get into the word that, I want us to look at the first two words, of verse 6 and it says knowing this now we've already talked about the word know back in verse 3 remember it said or do you not know but this is a different word that know was kind of like how can you be ignorant of this but in verse 6 it's a different word it's the word g-i-n-o-s-k-o g-i-n-o-s-k-o and it means a process of learning and understanding. And actually, this word, G-I-N-O-S-K-O, was a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. Okay, it was one of the words they used for that. So the idea is that the process of understanding has happened. There's no ignorance. There's been a joining of the information and and the person, kind of like a man and woman would be joined, okay? And in our culture today, it might be something like, you know, you don't understand, you don't understand, and then all of a sudden somebody says, oh, I get it. (laughs) You know, it's like you've taken ownership of the information, the light finally comes on, it's like, I get it. Well, that's kind of what this is. It's like, I really understand this. There's a strong understanding, and, and you've taken ownership of the information. So Paul's saying here, okay, I really understand this. This has really become a part of me when he says knowing this. And he's referring back to all this stuff you've already talked about in the first five verses. I I understand about Christ's death and me embracing it and immersing myself into it and that that's going to bring about the resurrection life. I get all of that, he's saying. I've joined myself to that. It's really important to get it. And not just to get it here in your head, but to really get it into your life, into your heart. One of the women that's doing our Bible study with us had written me an email this week and she said, that her mother used to say, I've taken a lot of journeys in my life, but the longest one was only 18 inches long. It was the journey of getting the information of God's word from my head to my heart. Because, see, a lot of times that can take a really, really long time because we'll take all this information and we just store it up here and it's this theological stuff that, well, we can answer the Sunday school questions and we can have something to say if somebody's going through a hard time and give these little statements here or there or, you know, pray just a certain way or all these things. But no, you got to get that stuff from here down into your heart and down into your life. And so when you know something, it's, it's made that trip. It's, it's taken that journey. You've joined to this information. It's made a change. And so Paul says, okay, I know this. The stuff's in my heart. I've got it. And then he makes three statements that begin with the word that. Begin with the word that. And the first one 
he says is that our old self was crucified. Now, the word that is used in many different ways, but one is to express, express purpose, okay? It's to express purpose. So he says, I know this, and the purpose of me really knowing this is it's going to produce some things in me. That, okay? This purpose of me understanding all this is going to produce this that my old self has been crucified. Now, it's very important to understand what it means when we say the word self. I mean, our Bible study is so long, self, okay? And we're going to be talking, especially next week, we're going to spend a lot of time really clarifying what that means. But I'm just going to put it in a nutshell for you tonight. Self is life without God's leadership. Life without God's leadership. It's when you live on your own. You lead your own life. Okay? You don't, you don't let God have that influence in your life. So you're over here. It's just you, your, your, your leadership, yourself, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your body, and you just do whatever you want to do. And then over here, you've got, this is a new, a new person, the new creation in Christ. You've got the Spirit of God living in you, and you have laid down the authority of self, and you've said, no, I've replaced self with God. Self is dead. And we'll talk about that a lot more. But that's the difference between life without Christ and life with Christ when we put Christ on the throne. But last week, we talked about the death of Jesus and all the implications of his death. And as a whole, we, we, we talked about the, the seven different places where he bled and died and, and what that meant. And we, we looked at that very carefully. But we have to realize, as a whole, he chose to die. And so his whole self died, okay? He didn't just choose one of those things to die to. You know, it's not like he just, you know, allowed them to nail his hands, but nothing else or any of those things that we could point to. And many times we will point to a problem we have in our life and we say, oh, I need to die to that addiction or I need to die to that control issue or I need to die to that anger problem or whatever those things are. And we'll think, okay, that's dying to self. But see, that's not really dying to self. That's just dying to the result of living with self in charge. <laughs> because if you have an anger issue, God's not going to, as a holy God, if he's leading you, he's not going to lead you into, you know, unrighteous anger, <laughs> is he? He's not. And so what that means is you're allowing self to be in charge and you're allowing self to then manifest this kind of behavior. So it's not like we pick out these few little things and say, oh, I need to die to that thing. I need to die to this addiction or this immorality in my life or this problem in my life. No, those are just uh, results of living with yourself in charge. Your old self is going to lead you to make sinful choices because it's life without God's spirit. And this is saying that our old self is crucified. I know all these things about God. I, I understand all of this information in verses 1 through 5 so that my old self will be crucified, so that I'll make that choice and I'll lay self down. Sometimes people even think this. They'll think, oh, you know, I don't really have a really good testimony, you know. I mean, I didn't lead this really dark lifestyle or I wasn't in a gang or I wasn't a drug addict or, you know, any of these things. I don't really have a testimony. Well, that's not true. Every person has a testimony because there has to be a place where self dies and Christ takes the throne. Whether or not you've got these big things to point to, 
Every one of us can point to a time in our life, hopefully, where we were ruling. And it might not have, you know, produced some as, as much ugly things as maybe somebody else's self has produced, but still, it's self. And this is saying that our old self was crucified. We know all this, we embrace this, we join in the likeness of his death, that our self can be crucified, that old self. Now, there's another that statement, and it says that our body of sin might be done away with. And each one of these statements builds upon the other. See, if I die to self, my flesh is going to end up being unemployed. (laughs) It's going to be inactive. (laughs) It's not going to have a job anymore to do because it's dead anyway. It's totally inactive. And it's interesting because the Greek word for done away with, it says that our body of sin might be done away with. That Greek word is the word K-A-T-A-R-G-E-O. And it means to render inoperative, to render inactive. See, self won't be leading me to do all of these things with my body, whatever they are, whether it's thoughts or things that I say or things that I do, whatever they are. Self is gonna, won't be leading me to do all of these things because self is dead. <laughs> it's dead. So what's going to happen if self is dead? The body of sin is going to be done away with. It's, it's not going to be active anymore. I'm not going to have this active anger problem or this active, you know, addiction or active indulgence or whatever it is because we're so disconnected to that. There, there, there is no happening of it because no part of our body is even responding because it's inactive. It's inoperable. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to look like to the person who really knows, who's really grabbed a hold of who Christ is and me joining with him. The third that says that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, this is a new concept here in Romans 6. Slaves to sin? It's been talking, he's been talking all this time up until this point about being alive to sin and dead to sin, right? Or alive to self and dead to self. But I think this third that is so important to take note of because it's something new. Why does Paul introduce a new idea here? Why, why does he do that? I, I have an opinion, and I'll, I'll share it with you, and this is what I believe it is. The reality is, back then and even now, many people are still enslaved to sin. Many people are still alive to sin, even though they've become believers, even though they've been you know, physically immersed in, into the baptismal waters, many people are still living with self in charge when self should be in the grave. And you know what? Sometimes we try to say something to somebody and they don't understand what we're saying. So what do you do? You say it in a new way. (laughs) You get a new analogy going because you want them to get it. And I think that's what Paul was doing here. He was saying, well, they're not getting this. So let me start with something new. And he's going to spend a lot of time, and we will too, in the coming weeks, in this whole idea, this analogy of being a slave to sin or being free from sin. And you know what? Don't, don't feel bad because the reason there are 17 more verses here is because they weren't getting it. <laughs> so if you feel like you're not getting it, it's okay because they, they weren't really getting it either. But you know what? I think one of the reasons he moves the analogy also is this whole dead and alive thing, it's kind of hard to grab a hold of in some ways. I mean, we know what it is to be alive. 
but none of us have ever been dead. <laughs> so it's kind of mystical, isn't it? it it's, it's not real easy to wrap your arms around what that really means. Whereas when you think about being a slave or free, that's a little bit more objective. You can kind of wrap your hands around what that might look like. Sometimes we might feel like we're a slave, you know, to, at our job or to our kids, you know, and they don't pick up their laundry or whatever. I and mean, we can get this idea of, of being bossed around by something else. But this idea of slave and free, he's going to spend a lot of time talking about this in the coming verses. And, and I'll be honest with you, it was this analogy as I studied this, you know, 15 years ago that really set me free in some areas. I didn't even study the first part of it. I just ended up in, you know, verses 11 through probably 19 or so. And, and they were the ones that really set me free in some areas. So I'm excited about us getting into them. But when we started, we said that, you know, there are a lot of words in just verses 5 and 6. They have a lot of implications, and they do. And when we get in there and we dig in these things a little bit, I hope you're seeing, you, you can find out some really neat stuff that God will just impart to you and give you some, some more understanding. And the question is, are we getting the implications? You know, they have the implications here, but are we really grasping what they are? Not too long ago, my husband um, had contacted somebody about something, and and then he told me what the response was, and we were both really perplexed because we thought, I don't think he would have said that if he understood what you meant. So I don't think he's getting what you were saying. And later that week, we got an email back from this person, and it was clear. They didn't have a clue what we originally meant when, when he had communicated to him. He didn't get the implications. And this week as we study, and as you do your study at home and do the lessons, we're going to see that Jesus... He really did understand the implications of what he was walking into. He understood the implications of his death. He understood the implications of the resurrection. And you know what he did? He set his face and he walked right into them. He wouldn't let anything distract him from those things. And I want to make sure tonight we really get the implications. If we become united in his death, there's a choice. This implies completely that there is a choice that we have to make. Scary as it might seem to walk into dying to self, there's a choice. And we get to make that choice. But certainly is also one of the words that has a great implication. And we can be, we can exist in the likeness of his resurrection, certainly. And I love the promises of God. This week we're going to look at the promises of God. And I don't have to wonder or worry or fret. Oh, if I do this, God, and I give all this up for you, it's going to go horribly for me. You know? No. I had a friend in college. Her name was Beth. And she was so sure that God was going to make her be a missionary somewhere in Africa and just make her life miserable. And, and I think back to that now. You know, back then I was like, well, maybe he is. I don't know. You know, we go. our theology was all a mess then. But, you know, that's not God. Now, if, if, he, if you think, oh, if he sent me to Africa, it would be really bad. Well, you know what? Somehow he'd change your heart and you'd love it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But, but he's good. And he says, certainly, I got to choose to believe that or not. There's implications there, certainly. And then that word that. There's purpose in joining my heart and mind and my life with the experience of Christ. I can live with my old self crucified. I can live with my body of sin done away with. Not having to deal with that being a slave to this stuff anymore. And that is an abundant place to live. And we'll look at that this week as well. Words are powerful things. And these words in these two verses to me are huge. They're very, very powerful. They have big 
implications. And I pray, I'm praying this for myself, I'm praying this for everyone that's doing this study, that we will follow hard after this wonderful plan that the Lord has for us, that we'll have a passion about giving up self. And we'll realize, boy, this is a good thing. This is a place of blessing for us to truly give up ourselves and embrace the death and the resurrection of Christ. What great implications God has in mind for us. And we're going to sing a song to close us out about that, about being that person that follows hard after what God has called us to because he has a good plan. Certainly, certainly he does. say as we're getting started it is beautiful to me when women embrace the word of God and really live by it really love it really want to see it come alive in their lives you know it's so ugly when women live opposite that but it's so beautiful when women take God's word and really do embrace it I don't know how old you were when you came to the place that you realized that words are really powerful things, (laughs) but words truly are powerful. You know, when we were growing up, you probably said things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I can remember standing in our yard and telling the little kids next door, you're not allowed to come in our yard, and they would say things, and we would do this bantering back and forth with all of that, you know. But that is not true. Words can hurt, and words can bring life as well. Somewhere along the line, we realize that is not true, that words are very powerful things. When somebody says, I love you, and they look you in the eyes, and they say, I love you, I mean, that means something, doesn't it? And when they say, I don't like you, boy, that can cut. That can really hit you in a deep place. Or when somebody says, I believe in you, I believe in you. I'll never forget being... Uh, when we started doing this Dark Places ministry and sitting across from the girl that I was visiting in the jail, I'd only been with her a couple times. And she, as I was getting ready to leave, tears started flowing down her face. And she says, you have no idea what it means to me to have somebody believe in me again. Because she had broken every relationship by her choices and didn't have anybody. And to have somebody believe in her, man, those are powerful, powerful words. Or when somebody says, I don't want you around anymore. I mean, that... That can really hit you in a deep place. Or when somebody says, you are the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, that's, that's just enlivens your whole, your whole life. I mean, words are really powerful things in good and bad ways. 
And perhaps that is why God chose to communicate to us through his words. You know, you, I, I'd never thought about this till the other day, but, you know, God could have used other things to communicate his truth. He didn't have to communicate to us at all, really, but he could have used pictures. I mean, he could have created like a cartoon strip, you know, to tell the story, you know, or hieroglyphics, you know, how they used to do it. I mean, and then we had to try to figure that out. Or he could have maybe had some kind of artwork pieces, you know, that got preserved through the years or maybe some kind of dramatic plays or something like that, you know, where you didn't even speak, you know, but just this pantomime. And we were not sure chose words. And in our generation today, words are huge, you know, even little words. I remember a couple years ago when I joined Facebook. And I'm kind of a wordy person. I'm the girl that when you were told to write an essay with 500 words, I'd do my whole thing. And back then you had to count them. You know, now you have a counter on the computer. But you'd have to count. you think, oh, I got 750. How am I going to get rid of 250 words? Because I've been wordy all my life. And you probably realize that as you're doing your lessons. You're like, come on, just say it, you know. You don't have to repeat yourself 10 times. But I do, you know. There's value in repetition. But people say things today in very short Things, you know, and when I got on Facebook, I realized people could say stuff with a lot of punch in a little way, and I'd think, I don't know how to fit in here. You know, I kind of felt paralyzed for a little while. It's because, like, I'd want to write, like, ten lines, and you only have room for, you know, one or two. Because whenever you see somebody on Facebook that writes, like, ten lines, you go, I'm not reading that, you know, because it's too long. You want, you want something little. And I haven't even joined the whole world of Twitter and all that where it's even shorter. And I have a really hard time on Facebook. I can't, I mean, not Facebook, texting. I can't tell you how many times I'm texting and I get to the thing where it says field full, you know. And I'm like, oh, what can I take out, you know. Because I, I still put commas in there and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm just, I tend to be wordy. But you know what, you can stay a lot with just a little bit. And in our passage this week that we're going to be looking at, verses 5 and 6, a lot is said with some little words. In fact, if I had to give the teaching a title this week, I would call it Little Words, Big Implications. Little Words, Big Implications. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you think about what Romans 6, 5 and 6, our verses for this coming week say, let me say them for you. It says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, there are some words, lots of words that have some great meaning. and We're going to be looking at a lot of them tonight. But there are three words that are kind of going to be our tour guides through these passages tonight. And they're little words, really, especially two of them. Verse 5 has the word if, and we're going to look at that a lot tonight. Verse 5 also has the word certainly. And that's going to be a key word for us tonight. And verse 6 has the word that. And it's used several times and it's going to be uh, very distinctive for us tonight. Every week what we want to do is just kind of walk our way through, you know, the verses that we're focused on for that week. And these three words are going to kind of be our guide to take us through. So let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us that this word would be alive. God, I thank you, Lord, that you tonight have already heard the prayer of many of these sisters that your word would be alive to us, God. I know why I'm asking your word to be alive to others, Lord. I know why I'm asking it to be alive to me. I know that there are 
um, women in this room who are asking for very specific reasons, Lord, where they need to hear you speak. They need to hear what you have to say. They, they, they're asking you questions. Maybe they've gotten to places in this passage and they're, they're just going, how does that fit together with what I already know? Or, or all of these different questions that we each have, Lord, in, in our own hearts. And I pray, Lord, that your word would be alive tonight, that it would be alive this week, Lord, that as we take our time and do our study and memorize and hide your word in our heart, Lord, that it would just be fresh and new and we would hear you speaking, hear you whispering into our souls, God. Thank you so much, Lord, that you use words and that they're powerful. And I pray that they would be so tonight, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's look at the word if. Now, if is a word, little word. It has a big implication all on its own, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us have said things like, oh, if only I hadn't said that, or oh, if I could do that over again, or if I had a million dollars, you know, or any of those kinds of things. If is a word that has a condition attached to it. It is a word that has a stipulation with it. Now, verse 5 says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. And it goes on, and we'll get there, but it tells us what's going to happen if we do. But let's look back for just a minute at verses 3 and 4. They led us to the truth, as we studied last week, that as believers, we're supposed to immerse ourselves, right? Immerse ourselves in the death of Christ. And we worked through that several ways last week. We considered it's important for us to join Christ, right? Not to just be thankful or to marvel at the fact that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and became a man and died for us. I mean, that's something to marvel at. It's something to worship. It's something to be thankful for. But the Word of God calls us actively to immerse ourselves in it, to join Him. And we looked at that. We looked at how Christ immersed Himself. You know, we, we, we picked that apart and looked at all the different places last week that He did and, and what that meant, what He was actually dying to. We examined the purpose. You know, why does God call us to do that? You know, why does God want to put me through all of that? Well, we looked at that. And then we also talked about, you know, one of the keys of how to actually do that. And that was something that I wrote down in my truth suitcase this week, that idea of into your hands I commit my spirit. <laughs> that was huge to me. I was on my prayer walk one morning and I was just, you know, a situation where I knew the Lord was wanting me to lay my will down before him and die to myself and, and to just give up and, and do something he was asking me to do. But in my mind, I was like, Lord, you know, I don't trust this person that you're asking me to 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 entrust myself to and what you're asking me to do. I don't trust this person. And immediately, just right in my spirit, and as I think I had been memorizing on Romans 6, I know this is why he gave it to me, but he said, Jesus said, into my hands I commit, I mean, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it was this idea that I've asked you to join in the likeness of Christ's death. I've not asked you to, to do your own kind of death. And if you're going to die like he died, then you're going to commit yourself to me. And can you not trust me? Can you not trust me? Well, I, I learned that day, and that's something that I've grabbed a hold of, that when God calls me to die to myself, he's asking me to entrust myself to him. I don't have to entrust myself to people, because a lot of times we don't trust the people around us. You know, we've got questions, or we think, I don't think they can handle this, or, you know, different situations. That's not good for me, God, or that scares me. But we're entrusting ourselves to him not to people, places, things. We're entrusting ourselves to him. That was a truth that I grabbed a hold of this week. But we spent a lot of time last week, didn't we? Looking at Christ's death and how we are to immerse ourselves and join him in his death. But we also noted last week, and we talked about this too, it's a big choice. 
It is a choice for us to do that. And that's why verse 5 says, for if. <laughs> that's why it says, for if. Obviously, from Paul's words here that we've already been looking at in these verses preceding, a lot of people are going through the motions of this whole Christianity thing. A lot of people still are today. And a lot of people have even been baptized physically, but they've not joined Christ in his death. So Paul begins this verse and he says, for if, because it is an if. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. And he goes on and he says, what's going to happen for that person that fully makes this choice? For the person that truly understands, this is a good choice for me and I'm going to make it. This word, if, big implications. And as we move through the whole thing tonight, because it starts out with that, we're going to see those implications are really going to be revealed to us. But I want to look at some other things in verse 5 for a minute and point out some other words that are pretty important too and have some big implications as well. We've mentioned a couple times already that this is going to be kind of an intense study. It's not a, you know, a little devotional you read each day and you go, oh, God loves me. God, God makes me feel so good today. I just feel wrapped in the arms of Jesus. All those things are true. But this is the kind of study that's going to make you look a little bit more intently at some things. But I want to point out to you that sometimes when you're doing a study like that, and there are plenty of them out there, not just that, this one by any means, but when you're doing that sometimes, you look so intently at Jesus, and then you look so intently at yourself, and then you go, oh my goodness, <laughs> I thought you know, I had made some progress here, and, and there's some real issues here going on, and you feel like, you know, I'm just really discouraged. But see, the thing is, I know that we have women who are doing this study here with us and online and who are memorizing with us and women who will be doing this in the you know, years to come, and they want to press on with Christ. So the last thing we need is for Satan to take that truth that God calls us to this death and twist it around to where we just feel like, oh my goodness, you know, I don't measure up at all. And we come under this condemnation. That's not God's intent. I mean, just go on over two chapters in the very first verse of Romans 8 says there's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I was doing a little bit of research on this whole verse 5 and especially this first phrase of it this week. And I found that there are some pretty encouraging things here. It says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Now, you can look at that and you can think, oh my goodness, I've got to have arrived at perfection. And you look at yourself and you think, I'll never be able to get that together, to become united with him in the, in the likeness of his death. But let's look at this word become. The word become is the word G-I-N-O. M-A-I, G-I-N-O-M-A-I. That was the original Greek language. And this is what it means, to come to pass, to come into existence, to begin to be. Now, the word does have an arrival point when you study it. It does have a place where you finally arrive, but it's not something that happens just like overnight. Like all of a sudden, you know, you've become uh, united with him. It's speaking of us doing this in a process. It's a joining with that takes place over time. But look at the word united as well. That word is S-Y-M-P-H-Y-T-O-S, kind of like the word symphony. You know, when all these things unite together to make a, a wonderful sound. And it's a word that indicates actually a birth and a joining together. So just like a baby's born, there's a development stage, right? And then you get to this place where there's an arrival of this baby. 
so it is with us becoming united with Christ in his death. It develops in us. We embrace it a little bit more and more and more over time to where we grow to the point where we actually have become united. Little words, but big implications because that can really encourage us to realize, okay, it's all right that maybe I'm not everywhere I need to be, but I'm, I'm on the way. And the main thing is that you're moving forward, that you're not standing still and that you're not going backwards, but that you're on the way to becoming united with Christ. Don't get caught up on, I'm not exactly where I need to be. Are you moving forward in this whole being united with him in the likeness of his death? And there's another word that has some pretty big implications, and that's the word likeness. See, the more I study Christ, and I look at maybe passages like Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus, you know, just completely humbles himself, and I'm called to be like that. Or I read through the Gospels, and I see the way he served, and the way he loved, and I think, oh, you know, because Satan can take that and just make you feel like I'll never, ever measure up. But look at the word likeness. What does the word likeness mean? It means a representation. It's not exactly, but it's almost. There's a resemblance there. And on this earth, ladies, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to be exactly like Jesus. But the idea is that there's going to be a resemblance between him and I. A resemblance between us and Christ. You know how somebody might say, boy, you really look like so-and-so. You know, Or maybe you'll look in the mirror and you go, wow, I really do look like my mother. You know, Or something like that. We, we ought to be able to look in the mirror and go, wow. There really are some things about me that look like Jesus. There's a likeness that we can see in ourselves and maybe that others can see in us as well. Becoming, being on the way to being united with him in the likeness of his death. And if we do that, what is the result? Well, that takes us to the next word that has some really big implications too. And that's the word certainly. And that's also in verse 5. The word certainly connects one thing to another. In other words, if you do this, certainly this is going to happen. You can expect this. Last week we mentioned several times that a lot of people really like to live, just in general, in the what they would call the blessings of God. I mean, think about how many people say, God bless America, but they don't really even know God. They don't have any you know, indication of wanting to walk with God, but it's just that, that sense of prosperity of God blessing America or you know, us enjoying God's uh, blessings. But interestingly enough, it's, it's not any news really that people long for that because that's the very thing that God created us for. <laughs> it's one of the things that he put within our DNA. He created us to actually live in the presence of his glory. Now, what does that mean? Because we say that a lot as believers, you know, the glory of God in his glory, all that kind of stuff. Well, glory is a true representation of something. When you see something in all its glory, it's when you see the true representation of it. And when we live in the glory of God, we see the true representation of him all around us. For instance, we might see his love. We might see, you know, glimpses of his beauty, glimpses of his truth, of his power, of his provision, of his hope, of his truth, all of those things. Well, God desires that for us. He wants us to live with all of that shining around us. And then he wants us to reflect it back out to others. I mean, you don't get more blessed than living in that kind of glory of God. But a lot of people look for those kinds of things in their life. They want hope. You know, they they want provision, they want blessings, they want joy, all that stuff. But a lot of people, and maybe some of us as well, 
really struggle to see that kind of stuff in their life. And then they wonder why I don't see this. Why do they get it and I don't get it? Well, to me, the answer is right here in verse 5. It says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, here comes this word, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. This word certainly is a word that's saying, if you choose, if you make that good choice to unite yourself with him in his death, in the likeness of his death, well, you can be certain you're going to experience the likeness of his resurrection. And the the flip side of that as well is, is true as well. If you don't, well, certainly you're not going to experience the likeness of his resurrection. Now, what does the likeness of his resurrection mean? We talked about newness of life last week. I loved looking up all those scriptures and looking at the different metaphors and and finding the different ones, you know, that may be really connected to me. But the phrase likeness of his resurrection, this word, that's a phrase actually that has a word that goes with it from the Greek. And it is the word A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. And it means to be restored to life. So when it says likeness of his resurrection, it means being restored to life, just like Jesus was, just like Jesus was restored to life. And we're going to talk about that. I love that phrase because to me, it really pulls the whole gospel together. See, God never intended for me or for you, any of us, to lose our life, his life within us to sin to lose the fullness of his glory, him being able to just pour out his blessings on us in every way. He didn't intend for us to lose that to sin. He knew we would, but he didn't intend that for us. When we're born again, when we choose to be immersed in the likeness of his death, you know what that does? It puts us in the position to be restored to that original position with God that we were supposed to have in the first place, restored to life. That's the, in the likeness of his resurrection. You think about this. God restored Jesus to life. When Jesus came out of the grave, he restored him to what he originally intended for him. God intended for Jesus to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yet he allowed him to come to earth and to become the servant of all, to pour out his life to death. But what happened when Jesus was resurrected? He was restored to the highest place of ever, ever. Every knee is going to bow to him. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. He was made to be who he was originally intended to be, the King of Kings. He was put in that position. And when we join Christ in his death, we position ourselves to be resurrected back to the life that we were supposed to have in the first place, which is a life of God living in us fully and us experiencing the glory of God. So when this says, if we become united with him in his death, certainly, or in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It's meaning I'm going to get that whole restored life thing going back again for me. That's the likeness, just like Jesus did. God's going to restore me to the original purposes and placement in his kingdom that he created me for in the first place. Now, think about this too. It says, be, okay? There's this word here, certainly we shall be also. What is the idea of be? Well, be is is existing. (laughs) So we'll exist with this resurrection life flowing around us. I see this as such a conditional promise from God. And God does have some promises that have conditions attached to them. 
And this is one of them. He's saying, you join me in my death and certainly, no question about it, I am going to resurrect you to the place that I created you for. So every time that I choose to die to self, I can know that certainly, certainly, it is going to bring life for me. As certain as Jesus was, every time, and we looked at this some, that every time that Jesus talked about being put to death, he talked about being raised to life. So every time I know that I choose to die to self and do things God's way, even though everything in me doesn't want to do it that way, and we'll be talking about that more in the next you know, few weeks, but every time I do, certainly I can know by faith and I can believe this, that God is going to restore me to that place. It's going to bring life for me, a place of his presence and provision and power and eternal life that lasts forever. You remember back in verse 4, it said, so we too might walk in newness of life. There was that question, you know, it implied that there was an opportunity for life, but it wasn't a surety. Why? Because there was a choice. That's why verse 5 begins with the word if. And it's not an easy choice. Jesus' sweat drops of blood making that choice. So when you have a hard time making the choice, don't be surprised. (laughs) It's not an easy choice. It's not an easy choice at all. How many of you can relate to that? You know what God's wanting you to do. (laughs) It can be a very little thing. It can be a huge life-altering thing. I mean, it can be anything from going and speaking to somebody in the store that you see and you know God wants you to speak to them to, I mean, making a decision maybe to adopt children. I mean, it can be from one thing to the other. And yet he brings life. I had a situation happen the week before we had Women's Vacation Bible School. I was in the store. I had gone in there just to kind of, you know, just zone out somewhere, you know. And I saw this woman that I knew who she was because her kids had gone to school at the school where my kids go. But I had never really met her. In fact, one time I had introduced myself to her, but she didn't remember me. And, you know, I, I, the Lord, I knew he was saying, go and speak to her. I didn't want to do it <laughs> because I was tired. And I didn't want to get into a conversation with anyone. I just kind of wanted to hide. So I kept kind of going over this way as they would go. You know, I kept thinking, oh, she's going to walk into this other room with her daughter, you know. And I thought, and everything in my mind, oh, Lord, she doesn't want to talk to me. She doesn't know me, you know. And then I thought, oh, I had some invitations to VBS. And and I thought, well, she doesn't want to come. You know, I mean, I was just making up all these reasons why. And it just wouldn't go away. And finally, I was like, all right, I'll go talk to her. And so I went over there and I talked to her. And we just immediately connected. And she just started asking me all these questions. And we just had this wonderful conversation. And we've become friends. And the other day, she, she had asked me if I would come and meet with her and talk with her about some ministry things. And she had all these things going on. And she wanted to talk to me about what we're doing in Established Footsteps. And, and the other day, we stood on the corner. At when we came out of the Starbucks on Monday, and she said, I, I told her this, you know, and she said, I am so glad you spoke to me. You know, and, and she's somebody that's doing what I'm doing. And I don't know many people that do what I do. And so it was such an encouragement to talk to her because she's made some of the same steps that I've made and has some of the same fears. And you know what? There's life there. There's sisterhood there. But I would have never known that had I not obeyed. But I can know that certainly... When I choose to do things God's way and I die to my own way and I do, and that's just a little thing, but do you see how he'll bring life in every one of those situations? And it may not show up right away, but we'll know that certainly, and that word certainly is a word that we can hold on to. When we make the choice, it puts us in the position and it opens up all those promises, all those promises that are available to us 
in Christ. And you know what? That idea of being in Christ, and we'll be talking about that more in the coming weeks as well. It's a phrase we use a lot. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, one of the things is that I am restored to life. (laughs) And that opens up all those promises. And you know, in Ephesians 3, it tells us that God will do more than we can ask, imagine, or think. Earlier this summer, when we were having a prayer meeting in this very room, and a woman came who had not been here at any other time, but she she came, somebody had asked her to come and pray with us. She came, and then she stood up, and she said, I just feel like the Lord wants me to show share this with you. And she said this, and it, I, I've just been thinking about it ever since. She said, you know, and she shared Ephesians 3, where it talks about, I think it's verse 20, that uh, he, he can do more than we ima- ask, imagine, or think. And she said, that means if you can think it, God's got more in mind. And I thought, wow. Because I thought of all the things I've thought about, you know? And I thought, wow. God's got more in mind than that? If I can imagine it, the mind of God is bigger and he's dreaming more, you know? And that's not necessarily material things. That, you know, don't even go there. It's the, the, those inner riches of God that only he knows how to bestow. That idea of being in Christ, that's a whole deep thing in and of itself. I don't know if you know anybody that just seems to know God in deep ways, you know. They've just got that deep connection with God. They experience Him. They hear from Him. And you look at their life and you go, oh, I, I, I want to know that. I want to know that kind of, kind of relationship with the Lord. Well, I've known people like that. And I look at them too and I think, God, I want to know you like that. And you know what I find as I get to know that person? Usually there's somebody that's died to self. <laughs> They've died to self because they're living in that place of certainly, certainly this, this newness of life comes to them. They're willing to die to self. I have some friends. Their names are Chris and Rachel Embler. Some of you may have met them or heard of them. We actually have a link uh, to their blog on our website. But I want to tell you their story just a little bit to illustrate this whole idea of this Certainly, you know, what, what we receive, the, the likeness of his resurrection. Chris and Rachel were a young couple about three or four years ago, um, newly married. They were both high school teachers at a small public high school in Smithfield, North Carolina. And God was moving in their lives. They both worked with uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes there in that town, and had taken some kids on some mission trips. And they just really were, you know, seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you have for us? And little by little, God just started to build this dream in them of some mission work that they could do. But it was very different than most people had ever heard of, anything that I'd ever heard of for sure. And in fact, when Chris went to talk to Rachel's dad about them possibly doing this, and Rachel's dad is a pastor, so I mean, he's a, he's a Bible-believing, God-fearing man, and he said, you're not doing that with my daughter. You know, I mean, that's how, that's how far out there it was. But this is what God was calling them to do, to pretty much just get rid of everything they had, lay it all down, and then to walk on a mission from Smithfield, North Carolina, to Peru, South America, and be the hands and feet of Jesus along the way. Now... They did it, and it took them 18 months to get from South, uh, North Carolina to South America, and many times they'd get this far down the road, and then God would give them some assignment back here, and they'd end up going 20 miles back the other way. I mean, so it took them a long, long time to do this, but when they left, they actually got sent out by all the students that they were ministering to in Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They had uh, two backpacks. You know, each of them had a backpack. It said, Our Walk of Faith. 
In fact, that's how I met them, because my aunt and uncle came across them in a pizza parlor and saw their backpack and went up and talked to them. And they ended up joining in online our very first memorization project we ever did, which was Romans 12, and it kept them connected to some believers. And so that was a way that God used that project in ways we hadn't even dreamed of. But that's how I originally got to know them. They came the year, the following year later and ended up speaking at our celebration service that we had for the memorization project. And that's where I really got to sit down and talk with them. But let me tell you the stories that they can tell you of how they saw God and the glory of God and that resurrection, the likeness of, you know, just being positioned with the fullness of God dwelling around them amazing things that they can tell you of ways they got to minister of ways they saw God provide when they left they had you know these two backpacks they didn't take one cent with them they each had an extra pair of shoes tied to the back of the backpack and they had a tent they had some pots and pans and a couple little personal items that was it over the time of the you know 18 months that they were gone God put over $37,000 in their hands of just people blessing them and giving them money. But they gave over more than half of it away because they didn't even need it because God was providing for them. That was more than they had ever been able to give away when they were both working full-time as teachers. And they were trying to, you know, make ends meet. They were giving more when they had nothing. You know, isn't that the glory of God? But so many different stories, and it's just amazing to talk to them. But you know what? As they laid down their life, and stepped out with God and believed God, they saw the glory of God. They saw the likeness of his resurrection. Now, I'm not telling you go home and sell all your stuff and walk to, you know, Timbuktu. That's not the point because God necessarily hasn't called you to do that or me to do that. But whatever he does call us to do, if we do it, certainly, that's a key word with huge implication that we can't even ask, imagine, or think about, really, we will see that likeness of his resurrection. That's a lot of stuff in five verses, you know? A lot of questions, some really deep truths that I'm sure we haven't even delved into deep enough, but we really want to look at verse 6 too. It also has a little word in it that begins some statements here that really have some big implications for us, and the word is that. Listen to what verse 6 says. It says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Remember early on I told you, when you memorize, you see things you're not going to see otherwise. Because what happens is you start zeroing in on little parts just to get it right. You're like, oh, I can't get that part right. And so you start looking at it. I would have never seen the word that in this passage if I wasn't memorizing it. I would have read right over it. I would have never seen it. Now, one of the reasons I saw it is because when you're memorizing, you want to look for patterns <laughs> because sometimes it'll help you when you get, you know, all bogged down with the, with the verses. It gives you something to hang on to. Well, there were three that statements, and so I was like, okay, when I get to verse 6, i got to say that, 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 and that'll help you as you memorize. But there's a lot more implication to the word that here than just, you know, a, a memorization pattern. Before we really get into the word that, I want us to look at the first two words, of verse 6 and it says knowing this now we've already talked about the word know back in verse 3 remember it said or do you not know but this is a different word that know was kind of like how can you be ignorant of this but in verse 6 it's a different word it's the word g-i-n-o-s-k-o g-i-n-o-s-k-o and it means a process of learning and understanding. And actually, this word, G-I-N-O-S-K-O, was a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. 
Okay, it was one of the words they used for that. So the idea is that the process of understanding has happened. There's no ignorance. There's been a joining of the information and, and the person, kind of like a man and woman would be joined, okay? And in our culture today, it might be something like, you know, you don't understand, you don't understand, and then all of a sudden somebody says, oh, I get it. <laughs> you know, it's like you've taken ownership of the information, the light finally comes on, it's like, I get it. Well, that's kind of what this is. It's like, I really understand this. There's a strong understanding, and, and you've taken ownership of the information. So Paul's saying here, okay, I really understand this. This has really become a part of me when he says knowing this. And he's referring back to all this stuff you've already talked about in the first five verses. I, I understand about Christ's death and me embracing it and immersing myself into it and that that's going to bring about the resurrection life. I get all of that, he's saying. I've joined myself to that. It's really important to get it. And not just to get it here in your head, but to really get it into your life, into your heart. One of the women that's doing our Bible study with us had written me an email this week, and she said that her mother used to say, I've taken a lot of journeys in my life, but the longest one was only 18 inches long. It was the journey of getting the information of God's word from my head to my heart. Because, see, a lot of times that can take a really, really long time because we'll take all this information and we just store it up here, and it's this theological stuff that, well, we can answer the Sunday school questions, and we can have something to say if somebody's going through a hard time, and give these little statements here or there, or, you know, pray just a certain way, or all these things. But no, you got to get that stuff from here down into your heart and down into your life. And so when you know something, it's, it's made that trip. It's, it's taken that journey. You've joined to this information. It's made a change. And so Paul says, okay, I know this. This stuff's in my heart. I've got it. And then he makes three statements that begin with the word that. Begin with the word that. And the first one he says is that our old self was crucified. Now, the word that is used in many different ways. But one is to express, express purpose, Okay. It's to express purpose. So he says, I know this. And the purpose of me really knowing this is it's going to produce some things in me. That. Okay? This purpose of me understanding all this is going to produce this that my old self has been crucified. Now, it's very important to understand what it means when we say the word self. I mean, our Bible study is so long self. Okay? And we're going to be talking, especially next week, we're going to spend a lot of time really clarifying what that means. But I'm just going to put it in a nutshell for you tonight. Self is life without God's leadership. Life without God's leadership. It's when you live on your own. You lead your own life. Okay? You don't, you don't let God have that influence in your life. So you're over here. It's just you, your, your, your leadership, yourself, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your body, and you just do whatever you want to do. And then over here, you've got, this is a new, a new person, the new creation in Christ. You've got the Spirit of God living in you, and you have laid down the authority of self, and you've said, no, I've replaced self with God. Self is dead. And we'll talk about that a lot more. But that's the difference between life without Christ and life with Christ when we put Christ on the throne. But last week, we talked about the death of Jesus and all the implications of his death. And as a whole, we, we, we talked about the, the seven different places where 
he bled and died and, and what that meant. And we, we looked at that very carefully. But we have to realize as a whole, he chose to die. And so his whole self died, okay? He didn't just choose one of those things to die to. You know, it's not like he just, you know, allowed them to nail his hands, but nothing else or any of those things that we could point to. And many times we will point to a problem we have in our life and we say, oh, I need to die to that addiction or I need to die to that control issue or I need to die to that anger problem or whatever those things are. And we'll think, okay, that's dying to self. But see, that's not really dying to self. That's just dying to the result of living with self in charge. (laughs) Because if you have an anger issue, God's not going to, as a holy God, if he's leading you, he's not going to lead you into, you know, unrighteous anger, (laughs) is he? He's not. And so what that means is you're allowing self to be in charge and you're allowing self to then manifest this kind of behavior. So it's not like we pick out these few little things and say, oh, I need to die to that thing. I need to die to this addiction or this immorality in my life or this problem in my life. No, those are just uh, results of living with yourself in charge. Your old self is going to lead you to make sinful choices because it's life without God's spirit. And this is saying that our old self is crucified. I know all these things about God. I, I understand all of this information in verses 1 through 5 so that my old self will be crucified, so that I'll make that choice and I'll lay self down. Sometimes people even think this. They'll think, oh, you know, I don't really have a really good testimony, you know. I mean, I didn't lead this really dark lifestyle or I wasn't in a gang or I wasn't a drug addict or, you know, any of these things. I don't really have a testimony. Well, that's not true. Every person has a testimony because there has to be a place where self dies and Christ takes the throne. Whether or not you've got these big things to point to, every one of us can point to a time in our life, hopefully, where we were ruling. And it might not have you know, produced some as, as much ugly things as maybe somebody else's self has produced, but still, it's self. And this is saying that our old self was crucified. We know all this, we embrace this, we join in the likeness of his death, that our self can be crucified, that old self. Now, there's another that statement, and it says that our body of sin might be done away with. And each one of these statements builds upon the other. See, if I die to self, my flesh is going to end up being unemployed. (laughs) It's going to be inactive. (laughs) It's not going to have a job anymore to do because it's dead anyway. It's totally inactive. And it's interesting because the Greek word for done away with, it says that our body of sin might be done away with. That Greek word is the word K-A-T-A-R-G-E-O. And it means to render inoperative, to render inactive. See, self won't be leading me to do all of these things with my body, whatever they are whether it's thoughts or things that I say or things that I do, whatever they are, self is gonna, won't be leading me to do all of these things because self is dead. (laughs) It's dead. So what's going to happen if self is dead, the body of sin is going to be done away with. It's it's not going to be active anymore. I'm not going to have this active anger problem or this active, you know, addiction or active indulgence or whatever it is because we're so disconnected to that. There, there, There is no happening of it because no part of our body is even responding because it's inactive. 
It's inoperable. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to look like to the person who really knows, who's really grabbed a hold of who Christ is and me joining with him. The third that says that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, this is a new concept here in Romans 6. Slaves to sin? It's been talking, he's been talking all this time up until this point about being alive to sin and dead to sin, right? Or alive to self and dead to self. But I think this third that is so important to take note of because it's something new. Why does Paul introduce a new idea here? Why, why does he do that? I, I have an opinion and I'll, I'll share it with you. And this is what I believe it is. The reality is back then and even now, Many people are still enslaved to sin. Many people are still alive to sin, even though they've become believers, even though they've been, you know, physically immersed into the baptismal waters. Many people are still living with self in charge when self should be in the grave. And you know what? Sometimes we try to say something to somebody and they don't understand what we're saying. So what do you do? You say it in a new way. (laughs) You get a new analogy going because you want them to get it. And I think that's what Paul was doing here. He was saying, well, they're not getting this. So let me start with something new. And he's going to spend a lot of time, and we will too, in the coming weeks, in this whole idea, this analogy of being a slave to sin or being free from sin. And you know what? Don't don't feel bad because the reason there are 17 more verses here is because they weren't getting it. <laughs> so if you feel like you're not getting it, it's okay because they, they weren't really getting it either. But you know what? I think one of the reasons he moves the analogy also is this whole dead and alive thing, it's kind of hard to grab a hold of in some ways. I mean, we know what it is to be alive, but none of us have ever been dead. <laughs> so it's kind of mystical, isn't it? it it's, it's not real easy to wrap your arms around what that really means. Whereas when you think about being a slave or free, that's a little bit more objective. You can kind of wrap your hands around what that might look like. Sometimes we might feel like we're a slave, you know, to, at our job or to our kids, you know, when they don't pick up their laundry or whatever. I mean, we can get this idea of, of being bossed around by something else. But this idea of slave and free, he's going to spend a lot of time talking about this in the coming verses. And, and I'll be honest with you, it was this analogy as I studied this, you know, 15 years ago that really set me free in some areas. I didn't even study the first part of it. I just ended up in, you know, verses 11 through probably 19 or so. And, and they were the ones that really set me free in some areas. So I'm excited about us getting into them. But when we started, we said that, you know, there are a lot of words in just verses 5 and 6 that have a lot of implications, and they do. And when we get in there and we dig in these things a little bit, I hope you're seeing, you you can find out some really neat stuff that God will just impart to you and give you some, some more understanding. And the question is, are we getting the implications? You know, they have the implications here, but are we really grasping what they are? Not too long ago, my husband um, had contacted somebody about something, and and then he told me what the response was, and we were both really perplexed because we thought, I don't think he would have said that if he understood what you meant. So I don't think he's getting what you were saying. And later that week, we got an email back from this person, and it was clear they didn't have a clue what we originally meant when, when he had communicated to him. He didn't get the implications. And this week as we study, and as you do your study at home and do the lessons, we're going to see that Jesus... 
he really did understand the implications of what he was walking into. He understood the implications of his death. He understood the implications of the resurrection. And you know what he did? He set his face and he walked right into them. He wouldn't let anything distract him from those things. And I want to make sure tonight we really get the implications. If we become united in his death, there's a choice. This implies completely that there is a choice that we have to make. Scary as it might seem to walk into dying to self, there's a choice. And we get to make that choice. But certainly is also one of the words that has a great implication. And we can be, we can exist in the likeness of his resurrection, certainly. And I love the promises of God. This week we're going to look at the promises of God. And I don't have to wonder or worry or fret, oh, if I do this, God, and I give all this up for you, it's going to go horribly for me. You know? No. I had a friend in college. Her name was Beth. And she was so sure that God was going to make her be a missionary somewhere in Africa and just make her life miserable. And, and I think back to that now. You know, back then I was like, well, maybe he is. I don't know. You know, we go at, our theology was all a mess then. But, you know, that's not God. Now, if, if, if you think, oh, if he sent me to Africa, it would be really bad. Well, you know what? Somehow he'd change your heart and you'd love it. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But, but he's good. And he says, certainly, I got to choose to believe that or not. There's implications there, certainly. And then that word that. There's purpose in joining my heart and mind and my life with the experience of Christ. I can live with my old self crucified. I can live with my body of sin done away with. Not having to deal with that being a slave to this stuff anymore. And that is an abundant place to live. And we'll look at that this week as well. Words are powerful things and these words in these two verses to me are huge they're very very powerful they have big implications and I pray I'm praying this for myself I'm praying this for everyone that's doing this study that we will follow hard after this wonderful plan that the Lord has for us that we'll have a passion about giving up self and we'll realize boy this is a good thing this is a place of blessing for us to truly give up ourselves and embrace the death, and the resurrection of Christ. What great implications God has in mind for us. And we're going to sing a song to close us out about that, about being that person that follows hard after what God has called us to because he has a good plan. Certainly, certainly he does.